Intelligent Medicine is sponsored in part by Chromadex, providing healthcare practitioners with a clinically proven vital resource to increase your patient's levels of NAD. NAD works at the cellular level to fuel energy production. It supports some 500 enzymatic pathways in the body. But many factors can cause NAD levels to drop, such as poor diet, alcohol consumption, lack of sleep, immune stress, overtraining, excess sun exposure, and stress. So it's important to supplement NAD reserves. Fortunately, there's a patent NAD precursor called niogen or nicotinamide riboside, which is the active ingredient in the cellular support supplement True Niogen Pro. Backed by nearly 100 published papers and multiple human studies, True Niogen Pro can safely and effectively elevate your patient's NAD levels. True Niogen Pro gives hardworking cells exactly what they need to perform at their best. To learn more about the research behind True Niogen Pro or to order, visit pro.trueniogen.com. That's true, spelled T-R-U, pro.trueniogen.com. And from now until June 30th, practitioners can get 10% off with coupon code HOFFMAN10. True Nigen Pro is cellular defense for life. Welcome to Intelligent Medicine, America's foremost program on health, medicine, and nutrition, featuring the latest on both conventional and alternative therapies. Now, here's Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Welcome to Intelligent Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Intelligent Medicine is about the best of high-tech medicine, the best of natural therapies. We put it all together for you on a weekend. Plus, there's an opportunity for you to come directly into the doctor's office and you can pose a question or share a comment or a concern. 877-726-8255 is our number during the program, but also uh, 24-7-365. That means... You're busy during today's program. You can't call in or maybe you're a little shy about getting on the air live with me. Uh, you can call 877-726-8255 and record a question. We'll take some of those questions a little later. Lots to talk about uh, today. I'm uh, fresh back from a wonderful bike trip to Arizona. Uh, one of the best times of the year to be in Arizona because it tends to be kind of gloomy in the Northeast. And I thought I'd get a jump on bicycling season by taking uh, a bike tour with Trek Travel, uh, one of the reputable bike touring companies. And what they do is uh, you fly out to uh, Phoenix and you stay at a nice uh, spa hotel. And then uh, guides uh, take you out with a support van uh, which has um, refreshments and uh, <laughs> uh, SPF uh, 30 sunscreen and all the things you need when you're cycling, plus lots and lots of uh, fresh water, uh, sometimes a little bit of lunch that you can have on the trail. And uh, it was a really great experience because, yeah, I've been cycling a lot uh, here in the Northeast, primarily uh, on Long Island and in New Jersey, but uh, this took it up a notch because uh, we did four bike rides in five days. Uh, one day we just took off to rest our legs and do a little bit of a hike, which was a little bit of a challenging hike uh, with about uh, about uh, a thousand or twelve hundred feet of a climb. But uh, biking in Arizona is, is really blissful, especially when it's uh, cool, ideal weather. The temperatures ranging in the morning from uh, yeah, perhaps the high 60s uh, up into just uh, topping um, 80 
as you approach midday. And of course, the air is very dry and you got to drink a lot because uh, we covered a lot of miles and it's hilly. It's hilly. There was some uh, uh, glorious downhills where uh, you could hit um, 35 miles an hour or more. Some of the other more intrepid cyclists on my trip uh, clocked in at 60 kilometers per hour, which is about uh, 43 miles per hour going on the downhills. Uh, I was a little bit uh, risk averse, but it was like zoom, 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 you know, like the kind of thing that you do when you're a kid, but uh, <laughs> on a different level entirely uh, with amazing vistas of those signature Siguaro cacti. Uh, but going up the hills, uh, there were some real heartbreak hills, mile after mile of uh, substantial grade. Uh, in one case, uh, actually in a few cases, double-digit grade, which uh, really slows you down and takes it out of you. And um, But uh, I, I felt good about it because uh, I was actually, I thought I was going to be like the oldest dude on this ride with a lot of hammerhead, uh, really proficient riders. But no, it was different. The, the riders ranged in ability uh, from uh, younger riders who were in good shape and young uh, for cycling constitutes uh, being in your 40s or 50s. It's some of the best cyclists, amateur cyclists, are in that age range. Uh, the youngest cyclist, a 22-year-old kid, uh, did really well. Uh, the oldest cyclist was not me. There was uh, a 74-year-old. There were several people in their 60s. And they were amazing, really intrepid cyclists. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of them uh, practice a lot where they live and come to these uh, tours. They do these tours frequently. And it's uh, it's just a nice kind of camaraderie on the road. So I'll be posting some pictures of that uh, bike tour, and you can check them out at, uh, on uh, Facebook. Uh, the... Uh, there's benefits. There are distinct benefits to cycling. Uh, you know, the guidelines uh, suggest that we perform uh, anywhere from uh, 75 to as much as 300 minutes of exercise per week. And the guidelines vary uh, depending on your physical capacity. But um, research suggests that um, people who cycle or work experience uh, uh, improved cardiovascular functioning. Uh, I live in New York City, and I uh, do not want to cycle to work, you know, because I practically have a nervous breakdown <laughs> getting to work, dodging the traffic here in New York City. But a lot of people do anyway. Um, there is a 46% lower risk of developing cardiovascular disease. Commuters who cycle to work have a 52% lower risk of dying from uh, a heart problem. Uh, when it comes to blood pressure, it's good for blood pressure. Uh, studies suggest that uh, cyclists uh, can lower their blood pressure uh, by 4.3% after three months. And then after six months, it may, they go down by 12%. Uh, weight management, yeah, it's good. The only problem is when you're on the road, uh, you get hungry. There's a little tendency to try and get into carbo-fueling. You know, I, I must admit to uh, having uh, had a candy bar or two just to get my... Uh, glycogen back into my legs after some of those hard climbs. Um, so you have to be a little careful, but uh, you can burn up to 300 calories per hour with moderate cycling. Uh, lung health, yeah. Uh, cycling for 170 to 250 minutes per week can greatly improve lung health. Um, there's uh, also lowered risk of uh, having severe covid 
and some of the people on this trip had had COVID, or they all had relatively mild cases of COVID. Uh, none of them got into big trouble. When it comes to mental health, there are absolutely a lot of studies that suggest that cycling uh, produces endorphins and uh, endocannabinoids as well, which uh, have a good effect on the brain and on mood. Um, and uh, it also helps uh, balance and coordination, which there's actually some studies that suggest that uh, cycling, maybe not outside, but uh, on a stationary bike, uh, can be very helpful for patients with movement disorders like Parkinson's disease. Uh, one uh, potential, uh, not a downside, but uh, a disadvantage relative to other types of physical activity of cycling is that it isn't necessarily uh, going to help you prevent osteoporosis. Uh, a couple of studies suggest that uh, you, that doesn't make you osteoporotic, but the benefits are less than weight-bearing exercise. You get you know weight-bearing in your legs, but it doesn't translate to your spine uh, necessarily and to your hips, which are critical areas of bone loss. Uh, also, there are some urologic problems. Yeah, uh, you get uh, numbness in the pudendal region, which is the uh, nerve that innervates the genitals, especially in males, and that can be a problem. Finding the ideal seat is challenging. Luckily, I don't suffer from that problem, but um, it is a little hard to find a seat that accommodates your sitz bones. These seats are narrow and relatively hard, and there's no amount of padding that can actually prevent the uh, discomfort of sitting in a saddle for uh, two, three hours at a time. So, uh, yeah, uh, the cycling trip was really, really excellent. And, uh, yeah, more and more, they're family-friendly uh, cycling tours. You can also even cycle with a, uh, one of those bicycles that uh, is an e-bike, a bike that has a little motor in it that can help you uh, when you need help going up a hill. Uh, and that's a good way to kind of check out the countryside. There are tours all over the world, all over the United States. Uh, I took a tour to a southern domestic venue because, well, it's uh, cool early spring weather uh, or late winter weather, actually. And uh, so I wanted to head to Part South, but you can go anywhere in the country with some of these organized tours. I recommend the highly. 877-726-8255, our number of thanks to the folks at um, Trek Travel for an excellent experience. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is Intelligent Medicine. Welcome back to Intelligent Medicine. Dr. Ronald Hoffman here. 877-726-8255, our number. We invite you into the doctor's office. You can pose a question or share a comment or a concern. 877-726-8255. All right. Um, this is National Nutrition Month. The entire month of March is devoted to nutrition, and you'll see some posts on that via social media. And I'm going to use this occasion to issue a clarion call for making nutrition a linchpin of medical therapy across all specialties. There's nowhere in medicine where nutrition doesn't have an impact. And in my latest newsletter article, uh, which you can see at drhoffman.com, or if you subscribe, you've already got it in your inbox. Uh, I gave a rundown of how it could advance the health of patients with diverse conditions. It 
makes, of course, a difference in gastroenterology and in endocrinology. It has an impact on uh, blood sugar regulation, neurology. There's a gut-brain axis in cardiology, obvious connection to nutrition. Rheumatology, we now know that supplements like vitamin D and omega-3s and curcumin can be helpful, and there's the anti-inflammatory diet. And skin conditions, also inflammatory, often allergic. They can be modified by diet change in dermatology. Uh, hematology, oncology, yeah, we're talking cancer, and we're talking blood disorders, and of course nutrition has a big impact there. Uh, infectious disease, we now know with covid that was a teachable moment about uh, the effects of obesity uh, and uh, underlying conditions like uh, hypertension and prediabetes uh, put people at risk. Uh, infectious disease, yeah. Urology, nephrology, ophthalmology, with the pioneering ARID studies uh, looking at zinc and then later other antioxidants, we know that that will have an impact on macular degeneration. And then there's there's natural support for glaucoma as well. And uh, ENT and pulmonology, well, there's food allergies and inflammation implicated there too. And OBGYN, pregnancy outcomes are impacted by diet. And many female conditions, PMS, endometriosis, PCOS, uh, chronic vaginitis even, uh, pre-cervical cancer, uh, pre-cancer, uh, pre-cancerous uh, cervical changes can be uh, modified by the right kind of nutritional support. We've done it. Psychiatry, of course, yeah. Uh, there's nutritional psychiatry is a big thing now. There's a food mood connection. And of course, when it comes to pediatrics, the rates of childhood obesity are soaring. And then there's these problematic behavioral disorders like uh, ADHD and even autism. And there may be nutritional implications there. So, um, all through the specialties of medicine, surgery, orthopedics, and of course dentistry, because we know that diet has a lot to do with the condition of your teeth and gums. So um, recently there was a congressional hearing, and one of the lead guys on that was Senator Cory Booker, who is a vegetarian, uh, chairman of the Senate Agriculture Nutrition uh, Committee, and uh he said, quote, currently in the United States, half of the U.S. population is pre-diabetic or has type 2 diabetes. In 1960, approximately 3% of the U.S. population was obese. Today, more than 40% of Americans are, are obese, and more than 70% of Americans are either obese or overweight. And they're calling for more action to improve nutrition in the U.S. Uh, the current food system, Cory Booker says, quote, is literally making us sick. And what we need for sure, is more medical education because uh, I barely got any nutrition education uh, in the formal curriculum. I sought it outside. I went outside to get it. I went hither and thither yon to learn it, uh, took uh, rotations at hospitals and medical centers where they were studying nutrition. So I had to kind of DIY my nutrition education. But there's some stark statistics here. Um, there was a study that showed that uh, interest among medical students in nutrition is uniformly high, but by the time they're done, they're burnt out. They, they just don't have time. Their own personal nutrition has been undermined by the demands of training. And they say here, without a solid foundation of clinical nutrition knowledge and skills, physicians worldwide are generally not equipped to even begin to have an informed nutrition conversation with their patients and to fully identify opportunities for referral. 
a survey showed that 22% of doctors recall receiving no nutrition education in medical school. Uh, and the situation in the United States is actually worse than elsewhere. Um, lack of nutrition education appears to be more prevalent in the in America, where 58% of physicians had no memory of nutrition education in medical school. In Asian Europe, only 30% of polled physicians said there was no medical education. So There's more of an emphasis uh, abroad. Uh, and after graduation from medical school, things only get worse. Lack of nutrition education persists after completion of medical education. Well, almost half of polled physicians had not received any nutrition continued, continuing medical education. That's after graduation from medical school, during that long period of training that doctors undergo before they can actually get into formal practice. There's what's called residency and then fellowship, and that may take years. More physicians were unlikely to be readers or consumers of nutrition education through studies, books, or documentaries post-graduation. So that's crucial because what that suggests is that if you're listening to this program, you may know a heck of a lot more about nutrition than the vast majority of your doctors, unless your doctor is a specialist like me. In fact, 67% of physicians read about nutrition less than once every three months. That's not you, the intelligent medicine listener, right? And the review concludes, quote, without adequate education and training, it is no surprise that most physicians around the world do not feel well equipped to counsel their patients about nutrition. So it's a uh, woeful uh, state of affairs. Um, I belong to a professional organization that's trying to do something about it. It's the American Nutrition Association. And uh, you can find them at theana.org. Uh, American Nutrition Association, but the website is theana.org. And their, part of their formal uh, policy, part of their mission statement, is that nutrition should be a core element of our healthcare culture and system, and all health professionals should be equipped and empowered to integrate nutrition into their work. And it, you know, it may be that some doctors uh, are not necessarily like me. They may not be prescribing vitamins or prescribing diets, but at least they should know what the implications of nutrition might be for their specialty. Say they are a rheumatologist. They should know that an anti-inflammatory diet can help patients with conditions like psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, uh, conditions like that respond to diet change and respond to higher doses of omega-3s, vitamin D, uh, anti-inflammatories like curcumin and boswellin. Uh, these can make a difference. And even if they're not going to spend a lot of time sitting down telling patients how to make breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they should know how to work with well-trained nutritional professionals in their practices and at least make appropriate referrals. There should be a nutritionist, a qualified trained nutritionist in every single medical practice in the country, regardless of specialty. It should be universal. I hope you agree. 877-726-8255, our number. And uh, that article uh, that I excerpted just talked about is in our newsletter this week. Check it out at drhoffman.com. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is Intelligent Medicine.
Welcome back to Intelligent Medicine. Dr. Ronald Hoffman here. Our number, 877-726-8255. You're welcome to call this hour next and pose a question, 877-726-8255. Okay, in a little while, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, remember this guy? This guy was on TV a lot, and uh, he was talking about this thing called COVID. (laughs) It was a long time ago, it seems, because there's so much uh, news that's eclipsing COVID and COVID subsiding in most parts of the country. But uh, we're going to talk about uh, what Anthony Fauci had to say about COVID. And there was just a big reveal in his uh, recent set of interviews. But before we do that, uh, 877-26-8255 gets you to record a question anytime you call during the week. And let's hear one of those. I have some uh, sleep irregularities. I'm not getting a deep sleep. Went to a neurologist. He thought I should get a Fitbit and do some sleep monitoring. He thinks I'm, um, you know, I feel very tired and lethargic during the day. So it's not sleep apnea, and we want to go further than that. My Fitbit shows that I'm not getting deep REM sleep. He thinks I'm only getting light sleep, and that's what's causing my lethargy. Uh, he's recommending clonopin, pretty much a heavy-duty controlled substance, and I kind of want to shy away from something like that. So I uh, want to get your opinion about what you think would be a good idea to get my deep REMs going and uh, yep. what maybe more natural methods would be a good idea. All right. Absol- thank you very much. Absolutely. You know, what a, what a good call, because I actually find what you just described a little appalling because uh, one of the subspecialties within neurology is sleep. That's kind of, you know, when people have sleep disorders, uh, a couple of ways to go. One is you can go to a pulmonary guy or an ear, nose, and throat guy to see if you have sleep apnea. They often deal with that problem. But neurologists deal with uh, sleep problems like restless leg syndrome, for example. Uh, so what the guy said to me, sounds a little unprofessional. I got to just say that because he's saying get a consumer device and use a consumer device which has, mm, you know, sort of semi accurate readout to characterize your sleep. Now, there are a lot of devices on the market, uh, things like, uh, you know, that, that monitor sleep quality, uh, but they're using, um, it's not really, uh, Ready for prime time. Let's put it that way. They they can sort of extrapolate from your movements, your thrashing around, uh, whether you're in deep sleep or whether you're in light sleep. Uh, but if you really want to find out and characterize your sleep, you go for a sleep study. Often in a sleep lab, they actually have professional devices that they'll uh, fit you up with, and you take them home and you sleep in your natural environment as opposed to in a lab where your sleep might be unnatural. Uh, but that's called a sleep study. And that's a more formal way to evaluate your sleep. So right away, I'm not, you know, I'm questioning whether it's accurate that you have inadequate REM sleep. But let's presume you have inadequate REM sleep. Then he suggests you take clonopin, which is kind of a knockout pill. And what it does is it actually makes it easier to fall asleep and stay asleep. But it the sleep, what is called the sleep architecture, which is the quality of your sleep, is not improved with any of these sleep medications. And there are many, there's a whole raft of them. Uh, what they do is they prolong sleep and they knock you out. And they hang you over, especially the benzodiazepines like clonopin. And they're also associated, unfortunately, with a higher risk of dementia if you take them chronically. That's well known. 
and they'll dull your, uh, your, your perception in the coming days. And plus, all those medications are highly addictive. They create dependency and sometimes addiction. It's hard to get off them. You actually go through withdrawal. So I think it, that was just a bad medical encounter all around. And I appreciate that you're reaching out for some, quote, natural advice. Um, you know, sleep is really should be approached holistically. It's not like, what vitamin shall I take to make me sleep? What's the what's a natural clonopin? And there are many uh, natural sedating things like hops and valerian uh, and melatonin and uh, magnesium, uh, especially magnesium glycinate because the uh, um, the uh, amino acid that the magnesium is combined with, glycine, actually has uh, uh, relaxing effects. So magnesium glycinate at bedtime is an ideal thing to help with sleep. Uh, CBD has some benefits for sleep, and some patients have to go relatively high. Uh, I take uh, CBD at night. Not that I have a sleep problem, but I find that it deepens my sleep and helps me sleep through the night, especially if I'm you know under stress. But really, sleep should be looked at as a lifestyle kind of problem. And uh, so things that are beneficial for sleep, you know, exercise. Man, I really slept well after those, you know, 45-mile bike rides that I took, uh, you know, up hills and downhills in Arizona. Uh, so exercise is very beneficial. You know, some forms of stress reduction are very beneficial. Uh, you know, there's actually an interesting study, uh, that suggests that I just read it in, uh, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, uh, that I opened up this morning, uh, suggesting that omega-3s actually improve the quality of your sleep. Uh, interestingly, they shorten sleep duration, but it's a better quality sleep. In other words, you get more out, of, more bang for your buck with the amount of sleep that you put in when you take uh, omega-3s. So uh, there, there's a lot to it. Uh, blood sugar problems really mess up sleep. Ups and downs of blood sugar can create restlessness. Alcohol before uh, bedtime, you know, knocks you out, but it, it ruins the quality of your sleep. You know, the nightcaps are really terrible for most people who have sleep problems. Uh, and, uh, you know, also just your daily routine, you know, keep to a steady routine, wake up to the sunlight, go out and walk or use a, or use a, um, a lamp, uh, to give you natural lighting in the morning to create a circadian rhythm for your body. And, uh, so when it comes to diet, regular meal times also create a natural circadian rhythm. So this, you kind of want to take a holistic approach to this and not just take a knockout pill like clonopin. I just, yeah, I cringe. I cringe when I think about it. <laughs> Here's another example of where a subspecialty of medicine, neurology, could really benefit from a nutritional perspective. Even if the doctor says, well, look, I don't know much about nutrition, but I do know that nutrition can make a difference. Go go down the hall and you know see the nutritionist that we have in the office, and he or she will guide you uh, with the right types of supplements and the right kind of diet that can optimize your sleep and the right lifestyle approaches, uh, exercise, uh, relaxation therapies. That's the way you tackle it, not with, you know, like uh, magic bullets that knock you out. Pills. All right, 877-726-8255. I want to congratulate our longtime partner, Wakanaga of America. They're makers of Kyolic on their 50th anniversary yeah, they've been around for a long time. Wakanaga's been committed to excellence for five decades. Uh, when I began practice, uh, even in medical school, I remember they were around. 
Their staying power is a testament to the quality and scientific rigor that they bring to the field of nutrition. I'm especially impressed by their investment in research to validate the efficacy of products like their Kyolic line of aged garlic extract. And I'm a longtime user, and I also encourage my patients to take them as well. I prescribe a ton of Kyolic aged garlic extract. They produce excellent results for people with a wide range of health challenges, whether immune, cardiovascular, blood sugar, blood pressure, or cholesterol. Kyolic aged garlic extract helps to maintain your health. To show their thanks, Wakanaga is having a 50th anniversary sweepstakes giveaway each month in 2022. You can visit drhoffman.com slash kyolic to enter for a chance to win one year's supply of your favorite Wakanaga product. That's drhoffman.com slash kyolic. No purchase necessary. Winner randomly drawn each month. Please see sweepstakes rules on their website. And congratulations again to my good friends at Wakanaga on 50 years of superior quality nutritional supplements. Okay. Um, Fauci was recently, you know, he kind of, you know, kind of taken a powder for a while. He recently did a spate of interviews, NPR, ABC News, uh, to talk about BA2, which is a new Omicron subvariant that's worrying some people. It's at least 30% more transmissible, but it may be even milder than its uh, predecessor, Omicron, the original Omicron. Um, it now represents about a quarter of all cases in the United States, and it may overtake uh, Omicron as the prevailing uh, the prevailing virus. Now, people are concerned about it because there's a little bit of an uptick of cases in England, which is a portent of what comes to the United States usually by a few weeks. And that's what Fauci is alluding to correctly. Um, but interestingly, my opinion is that this is not going to be uh, a, a surge. Uh, I think there's sufficient numbers of people who have natural immunity. So many people have had Omicron. So many people are vaccinated and boosted uh, that um, I think it's not going to break through in a meaningful way. I mean, some people may get mild illness, but I don't think there's going to be a major uptick in the hospitalizations and deaths. Uh, but there's an interesting reveal in this set of interviews because Dr. Fauci is 81 years old. And this may be his last rodeo, his final act. And it's, it's gotta be kind of disappointing to him that, you know, the expression you're only as good as your last act, that he's worshiped by some, but he's reviled by many as someone who is kind of been a Cassandra about this pandemic. You know, the guy who kept exhorting you to take the vaccine and to mask and to shelter in place uh, throughout. Uh, and uh, as, a, as the face of public health and the CDC and the NIH, uh, he has taken some hits lately. And plus, <laughs> the media has shifted all its attention to the Ukraine war. So uh, what he says here, it's interesting. He says, um, I have said that I would stay in what I'm doing until we get out of the pandemic phase. And I think we might be there already if we can stay in this. I can't stay at this job forever unless my staff is going to find me slumped over my desk one day. I'd rather not do that. He said, laughing. And that that is a little bit of a sad uh, statement. He says, 
I unfortunately am somewhat of an un, of a unidimensional physician, scientist, public health person. When I do decide I'm going to step down, whatever whenever that is, I'm going to have to figure out what it is I'm going to do. I'd love to spend more time with my wife and family. That would really be good. Well, you know, that's part of the problem for a lot of uh, health professionals, a lot of people in many professions, is that they are so engrossed, their identity is so um, is so so identified with their profession that they're, once they have to retire, there's nothing left, and they can go into a deep funk. So I really suggest that, you know, as you progress through whatever you're doing in life, is that diversify your life, develop hobbies, develop interests, develop friendships, uh, because it's going to be tough road to hoe if you step away from the limelight and all of a sudden become somewhat irrelevant as um, a new generation of physicians supplant you on the forefront. And it's a little, I got a little tinge of sadness when I heard that from Fauci. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, 877-726-8255, our number for Intelligent Medicine. Welcome back to Intelligent Medicine. Dr. Ronald Hoffman here. 877-726-8255, our number, if you want to pose a question. Okay, well, when it comes to exercise, you know, uh, there, we, when I went out to uh, Arizona for this uh, bike trip, uh, there were 14 of us, and we varied in ability, but already it's a self-selected group because we knew what we were into, and many of us uh, are inveterate uh, cyclists, and we're prepared for it, so you can train uh, to have the capacity to do these kind of things. If you do it right, do it gradually and, you know, keep doing it well into your life. Uh, one of uh, the women on the tour who was uh, 70 plus uh, said that she'd been an inveterate cyclist for the last 52 years. Uh, and so she just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going through tenacity. Um, but according to a recent study, uh, genes may play a key role in exercise outcomes. When it comes to exercise, results may vary. You know, some people respond really well to it, and they have enormous capacity. Uh, they are gifted by their genes to excel athletically. And I would have to say that, you know, if I want to situate myself on a scale, I'm about a 6 out of 10. I'm, you know, maybe a little better than average, but it's most, I don't have natural speed or athletic ability. I just have, uh, consistency, tenacity, and I benefit from, uh, good, uh, diet, uh, and, um, and certain supplements. Uh, so in an interesting study that they just did at Cambridge, uh, 72% of the difference between people in performance outcome following a specific exercise can be due to genetic differences. So it's, it's a little bit hardwired. Uh, when it comes to, uh, muscle strength, uh, exercising to improve muscle strength, genetic differences are responsible for 72% of the variation in outcomes. So some people may say, well, you know, I, I'm going, I'm lifting weights. How come I don't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, and it is there are only very few people who can achieve that. And yeah, I mean, he used some performance enhancing drugs. Uh, that's one way to do it. But, uh, even if you used all the performance enhancing drugs in the world, you might not look like Arnold. Uh, same thing for me. I'm sort of lean and, uh, you know, I can pump iron, but I ain't going to look like that. 
So when it comes to something called VO2 max, which is another measurement of uh, respiratory fitness, your ability to utilize oxygen to perform, you know, top Tour de France athletes, uh, long distance marathoners have an amazing VO2 max. Um, genetic variations cause 44% of the differences following uh, exercise. Um, and so some people... Uh, excelled with that exercise, improved their VO2 max, other people it barely budged. Uh, the study found 13 genes that have a role in exercise outcomes, there are probably more. Pretends is that, and there already are some, some services out there that will, based on a saliva test, will tell you if you have an aptitude for strength training or for aerobic exercise because the science is in its infancy. And uh, say you have a kid and you're trying to decide if your kid should go for a uh, academic scholarship or a sports scholarship. Uh, and the kid is like, you know, eight years old in whatever, in Little League or in tennis camp. And you could do a genetic test and find out if your kid is more likely to have what it takes genetically to become a champion. Kind of interesting. All right. 877-726-8255. You know, I'm... As I mentioned earlier, when I talked to the uh, caller about sleep, I'm a big proponent of CBD to support the endocannabinoid system. It tonifies it. And I found that it helps people relax and it can support, uh, you know, full night's restorative sleep. It's a breakthrough in herbal products. And I take it personally. I recommend a certain CBD brand of my patients. It's Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce a real innovation. It's the Plus CBD Reserve Collection. It's a specially curated blend of full-spectrum cannabinoids that are rich and bold. The Reserve Collection products elicit strong feelings of calm, comfort, and relief when intense support is needed. I can attest to that. So you can enjoy a deeper CBD experience with Plus CBD's reserve collection of oils and gummies. All of their products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. And with a 90-day satisfaction guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30. Forget this, 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's new reserve collection. And you can browse all the products there. All right. Uh, this item uh, has to do with uh, use, you know, hugs are uh, relaxing and they help to reduce anxiety. You know, they used to have fairs where uh, they would have a hugging booth and, you know, you'd pay whatever, you know, like $5, usually go to a nice charity. And, uh, and then you would get a hug. You get a hug. And there was, you know, you'd see people like embracing, hugging their strangers, but you get the hugs and it was nice. Uh, but now hugs invoke a call to human resources <laughs> in the Me Too era, right? Cause it's like, eh, it's kind of sexual. And that may be, uh, you know, even if invited, it may cause, it may cause issues. But hugging, it can be uh, duplicated with a device uh, called the TouchPoint wearable, uh, which uh, is a touch-based device that could ease anxiety. It's kind of like a pillow that you put on, 
and it inflates uh, to replicate the feeling of a hug. Uh, it's a like a breathing cushion. It synchronizes with your breathing, which apparently is relaxing. Uh, the group identified the breathing cushion as being the most pleasant and calming, so the research developed it into a larger mechanical cushion. So for those of you who, uh, you know, maybe you find uh, that the hugging booth is a little over the top for you, uh, consider the Touchpoint wearable, uh, which is a therapeutic robot that will give you a hug. Interesting concept. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is Intelligent Medicine. Oh,